A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Welcome to episode 51 of the Curiosityness podcast. I am Travis DeRose, the host of this show, and thank you for being here and listening to this show with me. Uh, I got to talk to Jason Sacco this episode, and Jason is a hunter. He has a podcast called Outdoor Adventures with Jason, and I've always been curious about hunting and kind of have wanted to try it, but also have been a little hesitant with, you know, the uh, conservation, preservation stuff. Like, is it should I hunt? I was always a bit, you know, hesitant about that stuff. So it was great to talk to Jason about it and, you know, get his perspective on everything as a hunter and, you know, hear what he has to say about all that stuff. So it, it's it's great to get into that if, if you've thought of that or have considered it or, you know, have opinions. And then he, he also jumps into, uh, you know, how to kind of get started with hunting if you want to try it out, you know, how to find local clubs and different things and, you know, whether you want to try using guns or, or crossbows or arrows you know any bow and arrow kind of stuff whatever you want to do um so it's just a cool fun overall interview uh and intro into kind of what it's like to be a hunter what hunting means and why hunting is is beneficial or you know and i just want to get his opinion you know i understand if you think that if you don't hunting isn't for you and you think it's bad i'm just trying to find both sides here so uh but i think you'll enjoy it jason's very level-headed and and uh you know easy to talk to about this stuff and very knowledgeable so without further ado here is episode 51 with jason sacco and boom we're on what's up jason hey not much how are you doing today travis doing good man thanks for being on i mean this is cool. So you're a you're a hunter. I am. I I've been. Well, geez, I I think the first time I went hunting was probably four years old. Oh wow, really? Um, no, obviously not by myself, and right. obviously I didn't do anything. But a company, <laughs> the the people out there, we went duck hunting. Oh, okay. Uh, as a young kid, and uh, was out with the blind, and really it was it was nothing more than exposing me to it, and. Honestly, I couldn't tell you that I remember anything about it at all. Mm-hmm. But I've I've grown up, if not hunting, being around hunters my whole life. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's not it's not a unusual thing here in Michigan. Heck, growing up, the first day of deer season. Uh, when I say that, I mean rifle season, which is November fifteenth. That is pretty much a holiday with most schools closed that day. Whoa, uh, really? It it has changed now where they don't close the schools as much because there's not as many kids. But mm-hmm. when I was younger, uh, that was a school holiday. You know, the, the school was closed because they're just there was no reason in having the kids come in because there weren't going to be enough kids to to matter. <laughs> it was also the same for pheasant season. Uh-huh. Uh, that was that was a big bird that was around here. There was lots of them. And opening day of pheasant season was also a school holiday where there was no school. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, we talked about this beforehand too, but that's just totally foreign to me. You know, growing up in California, we have no, I, I don't think I've ever even met someone who is really considers themselves a hunter around here, you know? Yeah. That's probably a little bit of a unique, I mean, 
you're in California and you're in the greater Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are certainly a number of hunters there, uh, but LA, oh, I should stand LA, but California is a little bit different in that. Um, I think there's more of the anti-hunting movement comes out of California than the, the hunting movement, but it, it's unique because once you leave that kind of LA bubble or that San Francisco area or the San Diego area and get out into the, the, the rest of California, I think you find that people are quite active in the outdoors as far as hunting, fishing. Um, but there are some, there are some weird rules there. Um, one thing I, I personally have never understood is you guys have a, just an immense amount of mountain lions there. Mm -hmm. uh, and instead of running a harvest where they actually say to the average hunter out there, we're going to harvest and I'm making up numbers. I don't know what the number is for California, but we're going to, we're going to sell 10 licenses to have 10 toms. A tom is a male lion mm -hmm. uh, harvested. And then that money comes into the state coffers and is used for other wildlife management projects. Instead of doing that, from what I understand, the state instead hires private, uh, almost like a bounty hunter, to go out and, and hunt them and tries to keep it out of the news, out of the, out of the press. Oh, interesting. The mountain lions are still dying. Yeah. But in my scenario, the state gets the money to come in and the money is used from license revenue to uh, help with game wardens, help with uh, habitat management, help with whatever. In mm -hmm. the other way, it's instead it's paid out of the state coffer to yeah. private hands to harvest these animals. That there is more than likely a market for uh, conservation for hunters to use it. Right. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I wonder that must be some sort of you know public policy that just the way people in California perceive this, they just don't want to. No politician wants to come out and have that available or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, I've never heard about that. But we definitely do have mountain lion problems even here in in LA. So I could see them something like that going on behind the scenes. I guess. Yeah, I think it's more of a public um, perception. Yeah, I, I think you know I've not I've not had mountain lion to eat, but the people that I have talked to on my show. Mm -hmm. uh, that have eaten it have said it's fantastic to eat, mm -hmm. uh, very much like a pork. And so you're not talking about just somebody going out and shooting the animal and then saying, oh, great, it's, it's dead and walking away right. or taking the skin. You're going to utilize pretty much everything of the animal. Now, obviously, you're not going to utilize the internal organs. Those are going to stay out in the field. But um, the meat, the hide, everything's going to be used. And the bigger thing is, if I'm California, or if I'm sitting in Sacramento in the state legislature of California, and I'm sitting there going, well, we've got these 10 or 15 mountain lions that are going to die this year, regardless of how I handle it, I need to remove those out of the population to keep it in check. Would I rather have the money come in and have sportsmen harvest them, or would I just rather pay? And keep it quiet because I don't want to, I don't want to face the backlash of people that don't understand what's going on. Um, last I checked, California didn't have so much money running through it that the state budget could afford to just 
throw money out the windows. So yes. um, if it's like any other state, any ways that you can then trim the, the financing or trim the spending is probably not a bad way to do it. Right. Yeah. And I'd be curious to know what's happening to the mountain lions. If, you know, if they do hire a, a private bounty hunter or something like that, what happens to the, to the bodies after, you know, this guy gets them? Uh, most likely he takes them and, and utilizes them in whatever fashion he or she wants to. Okay. At least uh, there's something going on, I guess. Possibly. Uh, I, and that's a good question. I don't know. I would, I would assume, or I, I, I hate to assume anything, but I would guess they, they might eat some, but it, it really depends on how many, if you've got three guys or, or I, and I use the term guys, I apologize to any women listening. I, it's a generic term I'm using mm-hmm. uh, because there are certainly women that hunt and, and a lot of times I've been around women that are hunt far better than men. So I just use the term guys. I apologize if I offend anybody. Um, but if you've got three guys that are hunting and they, let's say they each take five, I don't know if they would eat them all. I I honestly don't know how that would, that would play out. So that's a good, good question. Yeah. Now, so what about, we have a lot of coyotes here in in our area too, that kind of, I don't know if they're necessarily that big of a problem, but they kind of, you know, they'll kill people's dogs in their backyard and stuff. And you got to be careful with that kind of stuff is do is there anything going on with coyotes that you know of that people are hunting coyotes or is that kind of a different realm? No, I mean, if you take a step back for just hunting in general for a moment, uh, there's, there's the ability, you know, there's several ways that people can hunt and it's, and I'm going to take a big step back here for a moment. You know, there, there's archery and there's gun season, which are, usually the two main seasons. There are some other things, black powder and so forth, but for the most part, it's archery and, and firearm season mm-hmm. inside there, uh, under archery, it could be a traditional longbow, could be a compound bow, could be a crossbow under firearm season. It could be a rifle, could be a shotgun, could be a muzzle loader. So once you determine how you want to hunt, or both ways, you then look to see what your season are in the, in the States. Um, everything is going to generally have a season, whether it be whitetail season. I, I don't know what it is in, in California where you're at, but there's going to be whitetail seasons. There's going to be turkey seasons. There's going to be bear seasons. There's going to be deer. Uh, every animal is going to have its, its season mm-hmm. when they're open to hunt. Uh, we just wrapped up here in Michigan and in, in most states, turkey season. Uh, the toms are real active in the spring as they're trying to mate with the females. In many states, you can only hunt till noon uh, because they, they figure about noon, based on some old science, was when the hens would head to their nest. And they don't want the hunters walking through the fields shooing the hens off the nest. Oh, interesting. So uh, they would let you hunt till noon, and by noon you were done. And then after that first couple of weeks where the nests were safer and the eggs were in better shape, then you could hunt the full day. Uh, so, but you're out there to shoot Tom, uh, a male turkey, and you call them in, whether it be by, and again, it's going to depend on where the states are, but mostly you're using mouth calls, slate calls, things of that nature. Uh, regarding what you're talking about, coyotes, there is usually a, predator season some states like where i used to live texas 
Coyotes were never a closed season. You you shot on site. Oh, okay. Uh, New Mexico, I believe, is like that as well. I don't know California. They may or may not have a season. My, my guess is they don't. Yeah. Usually for something like a coyote, uh, they're generally, people will shoot them year round. Mm-hmm. Um, coyotes, coyotes are a unique animal in that they have really spread. They used to only be, for the most part, west of the Mississippi. And they're now east of the Mississippi. You'll find them everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's some unique research on that. There's a book called Coyote America, and the author's name is escaping me at the moment. But it's really a detailed uh, outline of, of coyotes and what, they, what has happened to them as we've uh, hunted them across the United States for the last several hundred years and the way they've spread. So, um, yes, I mean, people will shoot coyotes. If you're looking for the fur, you're going to want to shoot one wintertime when the fur is nice and thick and it makes a nice pelt. Okay. You shoot them now, they can be, oh, it's kind of mangy. They've dropped their winter coats. Their fur coats are stringy. I don't know anybody that eats them. I have seen people try to cook them. There are some videos you can find on YouTube of trying to cook coyote. I'm even though I like to think I'll eat just about anything. I'm not eating a coyote. Um, too much like a dog. So yeah. Uh, but coyotes out there, white tail. Um, what is uh, what is white tail? A white tail deer. Okay. And they're. In many areas here in Michigan, where I'm at, they're like mice with hooves. There's so many of them. Oh, really? And the auto industry hates it mm-hmm. because they, they run out in front of cars. It's, it's very, we're having a unique issue right here in Michigan now in that, um, oh, as everything's, like everything else, it's all about money. Mm-hmm. And there's budgetary restraints. And the state has gone to the counties and said, Hey, when you see dead deer on the side of the road, pick them up and dispose of them. And the counties have said, no, the state of Michigan, you own the deer, you pick them up. We don't have time to devote that to them. Mm-hmm. And they've said, well, no, you pick them up. So it's gone back and forth. And in doing that, nobody picks them up. So we have dead deer all along the sides of the road that just rot. Oh, geez. Um, and there are animals that come and eat them, coyotes, birds things of that nature but nonetheless it still is not the best when you're driving down the road and there's a bloated what uh, white-tailed deer laying there that you know has been there for a week in the summer sun yeah that's uh, rough they don't smell real good yeah so, so how, how is like let's take like so for example like the white-tailed deer kind of thing how is how is it determined and who determines how how often and when you know you can hunt a white-tailed deer and like when they and why, you know, you're allowed to hunt a white-tailed deer as opposed to something else, you know? Well, every state's going to have a state game department. Uh, uh-huh. For example, Michigan has the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. That department's whole existence is to protect the natural resources of the state of Michigan, um, anything in the land, sea, air, whatever. They, they handle that. They do studies um, based upon, oh, every one acre or every section of property, a section being, what, 640 square acres, I think, is 
capable of holding X amount of wildlife, let's say whitetail deer. So they do their numbers and come up and say, okay, our carrying capacity is, I'm making a number up here, but let's say that they determine that their carrying capacity is five deer an acre. Okay. And some particular area has 12. Well, then they come deer season, they know that they're going to, through history, they know that they're going to lose a certain amount of deer to car accidents. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose a certain amount of deer to predation from coyotes and things of that nature. And they're going to lose a certain amount of deer from just natural death. Okay. Whatever those three areas don't cover that need to be removed are then surplus deer that they need, know they need to issue licenses for. So if they have eight deer in an area that are considered overall surplus, they know that they're going to lose four of them from cars, natural causes, predation, and old age. That means they got four more that they can remove out of that area without hurting that deer herd. And when I say move, I'm not talking about there still could be eight deer left there in that particular zone. It's what do we have above the carrying capacity of the land? Okay. And then is that... Well, so is the carrying capacity, is that determined like, so it's not really a nuisance to humans living in the area or what kind of the area can support, you know, I don't know. How, like, how is that determined? I That'll guess? be part of it. Most of it would be determined on vegetation. Okay. Can that area support? Because deer, they have to eat. Right. And whether you like it or not, they're a renewable resource. So we can't stop them from breeding. Mm-hmm. So if, if every doe has two fawns the next year and all those fawns survive you're going to run out of food in that area if the deer live on average five to six years in age Mm -hmm. you can see it's just going to keep stacking up to the point where you got more deer than you've got food to to take care of them right and so yes part of it will be food water uh good habitat because a deer if they're hungry and there's no food, they'll eat, whether it's good for them to eat it or not, they'll just, they'll browse. They'll, mm-hmm. um, here in Michigan, they can top what, like a Christmas tree farm. Oh. You know, the farmers are out there trying to grow their Christmas trees to make that nice triangle shape. Mm-hmm. And a deer will walk through and eat the tops off of them, I which see. in essence wrecks the tree. Uh, if, if they're hungry, they don't do that all the time, but if they're hungry, they'll, they'll look for small young pines to eat and there's a number of other things uh there's plants that you can plant uh that like my mother's house uh, we always joke because everything she's got planted around it they live out in the country it it might as well be a salad buffet for a deer (laughs) They, they love it all yeah and so she's had to go around and plant some stuff that they don't like to try and keep them because otherwise they'll just eat the whole garden up and if any of the plants in the wintertime are under the snow, they'll come in and dig the snow up and eat them. Mm -hmm. So she's had to start slowly taking some of that out and putting in plants that they don't like. Right. Uh, Doesn't have to, but they're going to eat the stuff. So it's just a, it's over and over every year trying to replant the same stuff. So you just plant something they don't like. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Well, so now I, you know, I see the kind of the frustration of, you know, a deer eating your Christmas tree that you've been growing, you know, or something like that. But, how, like, how is it, why is it our responsibility to keep that stuff in check if, if you took those, like, those instances out of it? You know what I mean? Sure. 
Well, if you don't keep them in check, uh, who else is going to? Well, I mean, I guess, well, what happened before there were human hunters around? Did How was that kept in check then, or how did that all work? You had full predator, predators available, which aren't available now. Uh, we've, we've taken a lot of the predators out of the system. Uh-huh. And uh, let me look something up here. I saw it earlier today. Um, there wasn't the number of animals. We, we've created conditions for the whitetail uh-huh. to explode. Really? Uh, we've created conditions for them to exponentially grow to a point where, uh, for example, my uncle's a farmer. He, he farms about 350 acres, grows soybeans. Mm-hmm. Well, that might as well be a food plot for deer. Okay. They're covered with it. So the food sources from farming and everything, uh, as well as the habitat, uh, you can go into many cities around here and the deer are are right in the cities, uh, laying in people's front yards. Uh, and really what it comes down to is a safety issue with, uh, one of the things is car accidents. Mm-hmm. When somebody hits a deer, a, it's bad for the deer, but B, it can be bad for, for you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people that have been killed from being hit by the deer coming through the windshield. That's scary. So, um, not something you necessarily deal with in, in LA, mm, you know, yeah. you're not going to be driving down through Glendale and have a deer run out in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you get outside of the greater LA, if you drive to New Mexico or, uh, well, yeah, if you drive to Phoenix or if you drove to Las Vegas or something like that, you, you're in a chance of seeing a deer, you know, grow. Mm-hmm. So then the sheer numbers of them are, are one of the issues. Uh, there just isn't the predators to, to eat them. And so you, you have to keep them in check. Okay. I'm, so were there, you know, have we sort of taken the predators out just for human safety too in the area? I would say most of the predators were taken out for livestock safety. Oh, I see. Okay. It wasn't so much about being fearful of, um, you know, the big bad wolf coming and getting us. Uh-huh. Uh, it was more along the lines of if I have my cows or, or sheep or anything out in the field mm-hmm. and they've got calves or young, you know, young, whatever that predator is, will come along and, and eat on them. So it's easier just to get rid of the predators. Okay. That makes sense. And that was, I mean, that was kind of a, through the 1800s, through the, the early to mid 1900s, that was kind of the thought process of eliminate all the, eliminate all the um, predators, and then you don't have to worry about it. I see. So is there an argument that we should bring predators back then and somehow protect our livestock from predators? You know, that's a much bigger conversation than, oh, okay. than hunting. Uh, predators are being brought back in some areas. Uh-huh. I'm kind of mixed on it because I guess... I don't live in those areas, but if you talk to somebody in Idaho, they're going to have probably a completely different view than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a much bigger conversation than just hunting in general, okay. um, because it, northern Michigan has had the reintroduction of the wolves. Some of them have migrated down to the southern, but in you know southern, the northern southern part of Michigan. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we don't have any around here. We really don't have any bears around here where I'm at, uh, which are the, a, a bear is a major predator of whitetail fawns that they can keep whitetail fawns in check pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that would be something you'd really find from talking. I know people in say Idaho, Montana, uh, Wyoming that would probably argue they'd like to see all the wolves removed again because they are a very efficient predator. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. It's just so interesting to, because, you know, yeah, definitely being around here in LA, I'll hear this. I think I just hear the argument all the time of, you know, why don't we just let things take their natural course? But it's like, that's not really how it works. Cause we're as humans, we're here trying, you know, growing crops, like you said, creating more food sources and we have livestock to take care of. And we got to think of our own safety, you know, so we don't hit a bunch, kill a bunch of deer on the road, you know? Yeah, there's, I mean, if you look, I saw a item issued uh, not all that long ago, and it was talking just about, um, say, like white-tailed deer. And by the 1900s, now, there's a big change that took place. Without you being a hunter, are you familiar with the term market hunting? Uh, no, not entirely. Back in the late 1800s through the early 1900s, and, and my dates could be off a bit, so I apologize to anybody listening, but close to that period, mm-hmm. you could do what was called market hunting, where four or five people might go out and they would just shoot every whitetail they could find. And then that meat would be shipped to uh, a city, Los Angeles, Chicago, Detroit, you know, wherever to feed mm-hmm. uh, people in the city. Right. Well, that was done year round. There was no, um, there was no um, check system on it. There, there was no way for the deer to to replenish themselves because they were just over harvested. Right. So the numbers I saw that were like by 1900s, the early 1900s, there was about half a million deer left in the United States. Wow. Not very many. When I say deer, I mean whitetail. Mm-hmm. There's now. I think from the early nineties, the last time the number came out, there's in excess of 27 million deer. Wow. Okay. And they, they replenish themselves every year and they taste great. Uh Uh, So, but for you as a a person that has never hunted before, uh, if you were wanting to get into it, I believe out in California, you guys have a store called sportsman's warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen those around. And it's a pretty cool place. Uh, you could you could certainly go into a place like that and talk to a, a person and say, "I want to start," and they would help you with looking at firearms or looking at archery or crossbows or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. There's local groups you can join, like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the Mule Deer uh, Federation, uh, the National Wild Turkey Federation. Mm-hmm. All of those groups are sportsman-minded people that put their resources towards generally the animal named in, like, for example, I'm a member of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Mm-hmm. A lot of our pledges and donations and everything through the year go to increase turkey habitat okay. across the United States. Well, if turkey habitat is being preserved, increased, managed to be better, that affects every animal that lives in that area for, for the better. Mm-hmm. So it's not just how can we make, you know, it's looking to say, how is this made better for Turkey? 
but deer benefit, birds benefit, you know, everything benefits from more wildlands and the improvement of the wildlands. So any of those type of groups would be a great starting point to say, introduce you to hunting or even just the shooting sports. There's some great, um, have you ever fired a firearm before? Mm-hmm. Have you ever fired a gun? Yeah, just like a, a, you know, kind of a handgun sort of thing. Okay. There's some great uh, training schools out in the greater Los Angeles area as far as just um, marksmanship and things of that nature, just to go and, and get some hands-on experience and and have some fun and mm-hmm. meet other outdoor people that way as well. So there's a number of ways to start. I don't know all the rules even for Michigan. So I'd be nuts to try and say I'm for California, but <laughs> you do have, uh, if you went into a sportsman warehouse, they probably have some type of booklet on the counter from the California department of natural resources that outlines each of the species that you have to hunt there, the seasons available, the methods allowed. And, uh, you have a, what is it called? Roosevelt elk? or thule elk, tule elk, tule elk, I think. Mm-hmm. And I believe California is one of the few spots that's found in the States. So you guys have a, a draw system that I believe you can put in for there. Uh, no, California's got some good bear hunting, uh, white-tailed deer. I, I believe there's just a number of great species available for you to hunt, uh, turkey, uh, that you can then, you know, decide which one you want to try and, and find there's the nice thing is you'll, there's plenty of people that'll help you. There's plenty of great Facebook groups, mm-hmm. uh, bow hunters of America, uh, broadhead, um, broadhead ways or something of that major. Those are both generally archery only groups, um, but they they'll welcome anybody in and all you've got to do is go on there and say, Hey, I'm a broadhead nation. That's the one I'm, um, I'm, in California, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just getting started. I'd love to talk to some people. Is there anybody that can talk to me, help me out? And I think you'd get buried in responses. Oh, okay, sweet. That's cool to know. It's a nice kind of community that people are willing to help out and, and get others in, huh? Yeah, and Broadhead Nation is uh, th- that forum on on Facebook is again they cover the United States with members members from around the world, but they have a lot of West Coast hunters. There's a lot of people from Arizona, Nevada, California, that West Coast area. Mm-hmm. Broadhead uh, um, Bowhunters of America has about 180,000 people that belong to that Facebook group. They're across the world as well. Um, but I tend to see more mid to East Coast hunting things on there versus California and stuff like I do on, on Broadhead Nation. So either one of those, though, would be fantastic for a new person that wants to get into hunting and to determine what is the, there is no best way for them, mm-hmm. but what is a good way for them to get started? You know, if you, obviously if you use something like a crossbow, which I don't know if it's legal or not in California, but if you used something like a crossbow, your, your ramp up speed, your, your ability to learn that weapon and be proficient with it is much, much faster than a, than a traditional bow. Uh, like a compound bow, you're going to have much, much more practice time that you're going to need to put in with a, with a compound bow versus say a rifle. Mm-hmm. 
So, but all of them have their pluses and all of them have their minuses. So there, I'm we- I'm always say I'm weapon agnostic. Okay. Uh, I I'll hunt with anything. I just want to hunt. Yeah. So I, I'm open. I, I don't criticize anybody for the method they use as long as the method is legal. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of how you would maybe determine how you got started is to see kind of what's allowed in your area? And then uh, are there restrictions on, you know, like the type of animal you can shoot with the type of weapon? Sometimes. Okay. Um, you know, I, I took a lot of years off. I lived in Arizona for about nine years. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of kicking myself. I don't know why I stopped hunting. I just did. Oh. And then my job moved me to Texas. And I was now living in a state that had something I was never exposed to before, which was wild hogs. Okay. And I absolutely fell in love with hunting wild hogs, which I believe you have in California. And uh, Texas is covered with them. Yeah. And so I was using my right. I bought a rifle, was rifle hunting, joined a small lease and met some people that were into crossbow hunting. And they, long story short, they ran a booth. Texas Parks and Wildlife Department used to have a huge outdoor show once a weekend uh, at their headquarters in Austin. And they had all sorts of stuff there, including this booth that if you had never shot a crossbow before, you could shoot a crossbow. And they said, hey, why don't you come in and help us run this booth? And we're just going to have people shooting. I said, okay. So I did that for a weekend must have pulled that stupid crossbow back about a thousand times <laughs> but it was great i had a great time met a lot of people and just the uh ability to expose people to a new weapon was was fantastic and that person that was running it she and her husband were huge crossbow hunters they happened to have an extra crossbow that they were going to put up on craigslist for sale mm-hmm. and i said don't bother i'll buy it nice so I bought it. It was an older Horton model crossbow. Took it home. I had a little bit of a bigger backyard. Didn't know I wasn't supposed to be shooting those in the in the city. Had some targets set up and was just, you know, practicing away, having a good time. Right. And enjoyed it. Sold that crossbow, moved around a little bit, bought a few different crossbows. And um, I absolutely love hunting with them. They, I'm, I'm handicapped, so I can't walk. I mean, I can walk, but I walk with a cane, Mm -hmm. so I can't ride a bicycle. I can't, there's a lot of things I can't do. And, uh, so for me, I'm not going to get out and go trompsing through the woods and stalk quarry and anything like that. I'm going to sit in a blind and whatever comes in front of me is what I'm going to see. And if it doesn't come in front of me, well, good luck for them that day. Right. (laughs) Right. And so I have this crossbow that I absolutely love. I may do some target shooting with it here and there, mm-hmm. but it's it's just a blast to shoot. Um, I have my different firearms I like to hunt with and have different calibers for different things. Uh, so, yeah, it's really, it's kind of a hobby. I, I, I love to go to the range. I'll go to the range and shoot. I might take two pistols and a, a rifle or a couple rifles and a pistol or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Go spend a few hours at the range shooting. And it's just a matter of wanting to stay proficient. I'm not great. I'm not some long range shooter that's going to be trying to shoot something at a thousand yards. Uh, that's not going to happen. I, I kind of, with my rifle, cap myself at a max at 300 yards. 
Okay. Uh, which is still a long shot. That's three football fields. Yeah. Um, I took my antelope. Uh, I have one gun that's a little bit of a flat, sh- nice shooter. And I took my antelope at 410 yards. Wow. And that was the longest shot that I've made on a live animal, you know, not a paper target. That is a long way away. It was, and it was, I'm not sure I would do it again. Um, because if you shoot something at 400 yards out, you got to walk 400 yards out to get it. Right. Um, so that's kind of the laziness in me saying that I, I just don't want to shoot that far. <laughs> yeah. Um, but most everything else has been hundred yards or less in my shots. Okay. So when, would you know, if someone's kind of starting out like myself, would you recommend, you know, kind of starting with a smaller animal, like a turkey or something like that? Or like, I mean, I would assume hunting a bear versus, you know, a turkey or a warthog is a, is a big difference. Not really. I mean, they're each a little different. Bears are actually quite easy uh-huh. uh, as far as the methods go. No, well, let me rephrase that. I've hunted a bear over a bait barrel before. So they're coming into the spot where I'm sitting. Oh. Uh, there are men and women that go out and they chase the bears with hounds. and you know, and here's a good example of somebody changing their mind. When I was younger, I didn't see a lot of, um, I, I, I didn't perceive a lot of sportsmanship to seeing something hunted with hounds, uh, chasing it and shooting it out of a tree. Well, as I've gotten older, I started looking at it and I, I talked to people that hounds hunt and I realized it's not just a matter of, when you watch the TV show, you see them tree one animal, shoot that animal, and you think, wow, there wasn't a whole lot to that. What you miss is the eight other animals they treed before that. Mm-hmm. And what treeing the animal does is it allows you to fully practice conservation and get in there and say, oh, that's a young female. We're going to let her walk because she's still got a lot of life ahead of her. That's oh. a young that's a young female mountain lion, or that's a young male mountain lion. Uh-huh. That's not what we're looking for. We want an older male mountain lion. We want an older male bear, whatever it is that that particular zone is, is got the license for. Mm-hmm. It allows you to better discern what you're shooting. Oh, okay. So then you walk away. So I, I never really thought about that until I talked to some gentlemen that were from uh, the British Columbia and Manitoba area in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And the one gentleman was telling me that he, his dad, his granddad and his dad had both been houndsmen. And he grew up in the winters eating mountain lion. He thought that was standard table fare, mm-hmm. you know, and um, the, the basic just behind him was, as we were talking was that, yeah, he goes, we could run a mountain lion up the tree and completely get a good look at that mountain lion. We have five, 10, 15 minutes to look at that mountain lion and determine is that one that needs to be taken out of the environment or is that one that, you know, still has a lot of life in it and we should leave alone. Yeah. He says, he says, then we can better practice the term. Well, yeah, we can better, we can better determine which one to harvest where I was thinking for a moment. There was, I'm even going to take another step back. There's two words that come to mind that people screw up a lot. And one is the term conservation. Mm -hmm. And the other is the term preservation. Okay. 
Now, if I asked you the difference, could you tell me what the difference is between those two? Uh, I don't think I could. Difference between like conserve and preserve? I, I don't know. They sound pretty similar, don't they? Yeah. Uh, it go, and I never thought about this until I had been in a college class one time, and there was a lady in the class that was railing against hunting. And the, she, she mentioned that she goes, I'm a conservationist. And that it was a wildlife biology class. And the instructor said, no, you're not. You're a preservationist. And she looked at me, she goes, no, I'm a conservationist. He goes, no. He goes, let's get a dictionary out. And he tossed her a dictionary. Yeah. Or tossed her something. And it would, preservation means no use of anything. Just you're preserving it. Okay. Conservation means the wise use or the, the judicious use of a resource. I see. So you like the way you so, conserve water, sort of. You don't preserve water. Right. You don't preserve water because you still have to drink it. Yeah. But you conserve it by not watering your yard okay. and only keeping it to drink. Makes sense. So his point with her was that being an anti-hunter, she was actually a, a preservationist. And he goes, I'm not adverse to you not liking hunting. He says, I'm not going to let you attack anybody that's a hunter. Mm-hmm. But he goes, you, I want you to understand the, the difference in those terminologies and that you are a preservationist. Yeah. And so uh, when you when you encounter that. And I don't necessarily think that all anti hunters are bad people. um, And I don't mean that. I think they're a lot of times misunderstood. They don't understand that you don't just go out and just, you know, shoot whatever you come across. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it depends on the season. It depends on the animal. There are some instances where you might do that. But for the most part, you're looking for a older mature animal that's possibly past its breeding age, has already spread its genetics around in breeding through the years before that. Mm-hmm. And now you're removing them from the, the gene pool and you're going to let their younger offspring start to breed. Yeah. Uh, so, again, I'm oversimplifying it a lot because every area is going to be different. But if you yourself want to start to hunt, those are the kind of things you do. Um, something that didn't exist when I was a kid was YouTube. Mm-hmm. And for anybody listening and, and shows like this, you can go out to YouTube now and see all sorts of hunting shows. Uh, there's really good hunting shows on YouTube that are uh, very well produced and cover the genres, whether it be you want to get into fishing, whether you want to get into uh, saltwater, freshwater fishing, whether you want to get into deer hunting, bear hunting, hog hunting, mm-hmm. whitetail. Trust me, there's a video out there that covers it all. Right. So can you, you mentioned so, uh, quickly about um, hound hunting and, and that kind of, that type of hunting. Can you go over maybe the, the few most common types of hunting and how they work? Well, I can go over what I do. Okay. There's, there's hound hunting, which they use those in various methods. When I say hound, it, it can be any type of dog. Mm-hmm. But certain types of dogs work better for certain types of animals. And that could, be, that could be black bear, that could be mountain lion. Some states allow you to use dogs to hunt deer with during certain times of the season. Some states don't. Mm-hmm. So you really need to know what your state rules are. Okay. Um, 
I hunt strictly with firearm, either firearm slash rifle season or with my crossbow. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two methods that I've done. Uh, I wouldn't, again, I'm handicapped, so my ability to get out in the field is limited. I would love to mountain lion hunt. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is with dogs to tree them. Uh, but because I walk with a cane and I'm relatively unstable, I could never get into the train where the dogs usually, where they usually, you know, get the lions. I get you. So, so when you say when the dogs are treeing, you know, a mountain lion, how, what does that mean? Well, mountain lion is really a cat. Uh-huh. And if you see a neighborhood cat, there's a bunch of dogs coming after it. It's going to look for a porch to run up. And if it can't find one, it's got claws. It's going to go up a tree. Wow. Okay. And so it's the same basic idea with the mountain lion is it's looking for the fastest, quickest way to get away from the dogs that are uh, giving it a hard time. Wow. And so okay. if there's a tall tree, it's going to go up that tree. It's not going to stay there forever, mm-hmm. but it will go up the tree and give you, the hunter, some time to stand under a, at a distance and, and kind of say, okay, this is what we want or don't want. Yeah. So what you don't want, you take the leashes down, you hook the dogs up, and you pull them away, and, and you go, and that cat comes down in an hour or so and takes off. Okay. Makes sense. And then did you say people will use... She's, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, because that cat's not, once the dogs are gone, that cat's not going to hang around to see, see if they're coming back. Right. He or she's going to jump down and run. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And then did you, will, will people use dogs to hunt bears too? Is that what you said? Uh, same premise. Black bear will climb a tree. Wow. Uh, so they'll, uh, if they have the opportunity to go up a tree to get away from the dogs, they'll do it. And it's the same, same thing. You're, you're then using that opportunity to see if that's the type of black bear or that's the bear you want to harvest. Man, I didn't realize dogs would, could do that to a bear. One dog might not, but right. if there's eight or ten of them, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can imagine. That, and it could be, you know, a bear gets a bad attitude and turns, and there's no longer eight or ten of the dogs. There might only be six or seven if it takes a dog or two out. Yikes. But they generally don't do that. They, they, prefer, to, they prefer to run versus fight unless they're cornered mm-hmm. and these aren't chihuahuas chasing the dogs either generally not no right but there is a really cool video on youtube i saw years ago and it's a lady's got a goofy house she's in california and it's just a weird setup and she hears her three chihuahuas barking like crazy in the garage uh-huh. and she has a window from her like dining room or kitchen that looks down into the garage yeah and these chihuahuas are in the garage so that yip 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 and it is being echoed she opens the window to tell them to shut up and they have a mountain lion cornered in the garage. <laughs> and of course she's like, what, you know? What? And so here's this hundred plus pound cat yeah. cowering in a corner from these three little rat dogs, you know? So <laughs> um, it just goes to show you that one, it probably would have ate for lunch, but two or three made them nervous. Right. And so it, it ran in. Um, I don't know if it was a young mountain lion. I don't know if it was an older mountain lion. I, I don't know any, anything about that. But it's kind of a funny video just to see that this lady opens the window and there's a big mountain lion cowering in the corner because these three chihuahuas are barking at it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with, with you, as a, if you ever wanted to be a new hunter, like I said, Facebook has allowed you to connect with so many people in the industry that 
you know, pre pre Facebook, pre internet, we we wouldn't have had that opportunity. So there's always um a lot of events that go on. You're going to have different events that go on in relatively close every year. Uh, I don't know how close you are to Lake Tahoe, I but there. I think where Lake Tahoe is, I believe, is where the SCI Safari Club International event goes on every year, mm-hmm. and that's a huge event that showcases outdoor stuff. Um, there's, and I'm sure there's the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the National Elk Turkey Federation. I'm sure all of those have events in your area that it would be very easy for you to go to each of their websites and shoot an email off and usually within within a week i would say if not sooner you'd get something that would say hey you know we saw that you were interested in this and we'd love to invite you down or here's what we have coming up or uh there, i would think you probably can find um shooting uh like teams and stuff that go out and practice which is a great way to meet people that are hunting and you might decide i don't want to hunt but i just love you know shooting holes in the paper i mm-hmm. love target shooting yeah and there's nothing wrong with that yeah that's fine um, archery is another one of those things that you don't realize how much is going on in the field of archery as far as target um 3d tournaments there's one that goes on are you you ever been to utah mm-hmm. uh there's some big ski resorts up there Alta and Snowbird. Okay, right. And I don't remember which one is which one of them outside of Salt Lake City does it, but they shut down the obviously the ski resort shut down in the summertime. Right. So they go out and put 3D targets up and down all the lanes. And you ride the gondola up to the top of the mountain with your bow and a certain number of arrows. And they you then walk down and there are stations that you stop at. Like this station, you have to shoot an elk that's at not not a real elk, it's a 3D target. Yeah. But you have to shoot that elk at, you know, 100 yards, 50 yards. Wow. Here's one awesome. with a mule. And you literally just walk down the mountain uh-huh. as, you, as you take your turn shooting. Yeah. And so there's big events like that that have come up about. And there's sometimes substantial prize money available to win out of those as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'd love to get to go to something like that and then just try a few different, you know, try a crossbow and a gun and different things, you know, to see what, what I like, I guess. Yeah. And if you look, I don't know about sportsman's warehouse. I will do a little bit of research and send this to you and you can put this in the show notes for any of your listeners. Yeah. Uh, there's Cabela's and Bass Pro are now kind of one store, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they have outdoor events where you could come and try and shoot BB guns, pellet guns, crossbows, yeah, uh, things like that. Um, so there's, there's always opportunities to, to try things. You just got to do a little bit of looking depending on area because I I just don't know LA enough. Um, I do know that there are some fantastic shooting schools around LA, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be fan would be in, I say shooting, I'm talking with pistol. Okay. Um, that they train actors and actresses. Uh, Oh, right. And in the proper methods, but they also train you and I that walk in off the street. Mm-hmm. So there's some fantastic schools for just becoming better at shooting. There's different clubs and organizations around that. So there are a number of opportunities for getting involved. It's just a matter of, of what you want to do. What, what's a benefit to you? Yeah. 
Well, okay. So I want to just jump back a second here. When, um, when you're, let's say you're, you're shooting with like a crossbow or something. And so mm-hmm. are you, are you generally just kind of sitting and waiting and like kind of a hidden little thing and waiting for someone, something to come across and then you'll get it if it's in your range and what you want? Yeah, basically, um, when, when I had a lease in Texas, uh-huh. uh, lease meant that we just, we gave the landowner a certain amount of money to be able to hunt on his property through the year. Oh. And we would set up blinds, okay. um, a portable blind. So it's really just something you could go down to a Walmart or a sportsman's warehouse or Cabela's, anything. You buy these portable blinds, you order them off of Amazon, wherever. Mm-hmm. And you set them up and we would just leave them up. Okay. Once that blind is up, the animals know what's there. They're not dumb. Yeah. Uh, what they sometimes have a little bit of a hard time figuring out is when somebody's actually in it or not in it. Okay. Uh, depending on stunt control and things of that nature, wind blowing, all that fun stuff. But you can, what I would do then because of my limited mobility, uh, I didn't go out walking in texas i had a feeder that was about 35 yards in front of my blind and that feeder would go off twice a day once at around 7 a.m and another time around 7 Mm p.m and i would play with the times but that was close enough and it would toss some corn okay well corn's not a great source of of food for the animals but it is a treat okay so they know what's there. They know the sound of the feeder going off and they come into it. And then depending on what came in would be whether I shot or not. Okay. I see. Makes sense. Uh, You know, I was sitting in my blind one day and watching these turkeys coming in. Was it turkey season or anything of that nature? And they were all a bunch of uh, hens and jakes. And they were coming in. They pecked at the feeder for a little bit. Then they just started walking towards my blind. And I had the window open. I was sitting there. It was hotter than heck. I had on like a black t-shirt and shorts. And and they walked right up to the blind and started sticking their head in the blind to see, you know, (laughs) I was joked. They were looking to say, hey, hey, what are you doing in there? Yeah, right. But there was no fear of them. I mean, had I moved quickly, they probably would have flown backwards and and run. But they were just kind of checking out what was going on. and then. They walked away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I sat there and I was, I was waiting for the nighttime feeder to go off because I was, I was looking for a hog. Oh, okay. And so I was out there in, in the evening, but had deer come in. But um, another thing is there's, there's what are called exotic species and there's what are called, you know, I can't even think of the right term for them now, native species. Native species usually can only be shot from, say, sun up to sundown okay or maybe half an hour before sundown or huh. so like a white-tailed deer it has to be daytime for you to to hunt that you can't shoot them in the middle of the night okay a hog is an invasive species a non-native species so you can shoot them around the clock it doesn't matter when so is that time restriction just to restrict the amount that is getting killed no, it's to give them. It's to it's to give them some time when they're not being pressured. Oh, to let them relax a bit. Let them. Yep. Let them relax. Let them not feel like they're always. You know, they're always on guard. Yeah. But 
it's just a time to give them to, to chill a little bit. Oh, okay. But every state's different. For example, there are no native elk populations in Texas. Mm-hmm. So an elk is considered an exotic, even though the states around them all have elk or, you know, like New, New Mexico is loaded with elk. Right. Well, if that elk crosses the border and comes into Texas to eat out of the alfalfa fields, he or she is now an exotic and can be shot day or night. Thanks. Where if it's back in New Mexico, you can only shoot during the day. Yeah. So hmm. it's that's why I say know your state game laws. Uh, never be afraid if you see a game officer to stop and talk to him or her. Yeah. Uh, ask them for their business card. Because trust me, they would rather have you question them on the legalities of doing something mm-hmm. versus writing you a ticket. Yeah, totally. So are there people who are, is there another type of hunting where people are, you know, just kind of walking around like Elmer Fudd with their shotgun drawn and, and just trying to get something? Or is that not really happening? No, that happens. I wouldn't say they're more, they're like Elmer Fudd, but they would, they definitely walk around, people that will walk around when they rabbit hunt uh-huh. and uh, hearing them winter in michigan they'll they'll stomp on piles of brush or if they have dogs they'll have the dogs run into the brush and that shoes the rabbits out and then they'll shoot the rabbits oh, so okay. you're gonna you're gonna walk a large amount of area to do that mm-hmm. if you're squirrel hunting you're probably gonna walk um not far because there's just so many of them but you might shoot one or two squirrels in one area then move to another area and shoot a couple of squirrels there and i see and so you're going to just continually move around, but it doesn't have to be a huge area because there's just so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it depends. People will walk and stalk deer, elk, uh, whatever. I, I don't, but it would be fantastic. I'd love to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people that will go out and stalk pronghorn, elk, whitetail, mule deer, you name it. If a stalk can be put on turkeys, I've seen yeah. them stalk turkeys and shoot turkeys at three and four yards. Wow. Um, that seems like a real art. Yeah. Uh, in Africa, you'll see that a lot where they stalk animals and get in there nice and close to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it just depends on the country you're at and the animal you're hunting and the, the method that you want to use. There's, that's the nice thing is there is no right or wrong method. Mm-hmm. If you want to go and you want to sit in a blind and hunt over an old apple orchard or a bean field or a feeder and take a book and read a book. That's fine by me. I could care less. I'm not the person to tell you that that's the right or wrong way because I could probably be a couple miles down the road, reading a book myself Yeah, or taking a nap or, or whatever. <laughs> Relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no right or wrong way to, to do it. So what does it feel like to, kill an animal like a like something large like an elk or or you know even like a hog or something um you know the the actual to me the most exciting part of it is right till when you pull the trigger okay the actual harvesting of the animal to me is kind of the anticlimactic part of it Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just it's just what happens um Everything up into it is the the preparation, the practice, the, in, in this case, if I'm sighting in on an animal, my biggest concern is, do I have a good shot on this animal? Because when I shoot them, I don't want to wound them. Yeah. I want to kill them. 
Right. I don't want no, nobody that I know ever wants to wound an animal and have the animal run off. Does it happen? Yes. Do you put every effort you can into finding a wounded animal to make sure that it a wasn't wounded that bad or B didn't just run off over a hill and die and you, you try to recover it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, have I wounded animals before? Yes. Have I shot and killed animals before that took forever to find? Yes. And I've also shot ones that have dropped right there. Mm. So it, it all happens. You, so really when I'm say with a crossbow, I'm sighting in, I'm making sure what animal I'm at, where I'm at, is this arrow going to hit in a spot where without any, you know, all things being equal without the animal moving dramatically or something that's going to create a clean, clean kill. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if I, I I can't say that I have any feelings of, oh, uh, remorse or, you know, it just, it is, I'm, I'm happy that that animal was there for me to harvest. I'm excited about being able to consume the animal and eat mm-hmm. the, whether it be the back straps, the tenderloins, the ribs, whatever. I'm excited about the camaraderie that's going to come about because I, I might have a roast with family, friends, whoever. And I was able to provide that, that food for them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Could I have gone down to Safeway and bought it? Sure. But it's, there's a different taste to it when you harvest it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the person that goes to Safeway or, or what is it, Vons or Ralph's? Yeah, whatever. Um, whatever. Uh, for the person that goes down there and buys the roast to cook it on the grill that way, power to you. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to know a little bit more about where the meat I'm eating came from mm-hmm. versus the factory farm situation. Right. So um, that's... I, again, I just, I can't say that there's any remorse. I can't say that there's anything, you know, I've, I've eliminated animals before in, in just yard cleaning that have made me feel bad. You know, when you're, when you're mowing the grass and you don't realize you just went over a mouse nest or something like that. Yeah. And I like, and I feel horrible. Right. I'm sitting there going, I can shoot a white tail, but these five little baby mice, I feel horrible about, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's because one of the biggest misconceptions is that hunters don't like animals and that's the farthest thing from the case we love animals nobody wants to see them suffer yeah and so when you do something like that you, you know you're like son of a gun you know I, you, you that's something i can feel bad about mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah, i'm curious how i want i'm curious how i'll react to the situation because i want to experience that but yeah just you know when you see something like roadkill on the side of the road, like I'll, I just feel terrible. Like I'll, my stomach turns a little bit driving by that. And I, I, you know, I feel sad for that, but so I'm, I'm, I am curious to see what, what I will feel like when, when I actually do kill something like this. Yeah. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with feeling sad. Um, you know, generally remember that nature doesn't understand sad versus happy versus, you know, because if it did, you wouldn't have coyotes start eating a, a deer while it's still alive. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have lions kill an animal and start consuming it while the animal's still alive. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- so nature operates different than you and I do. Um, it, it's not bad harvesting an animal. Uh, maybe for your first time out, you might go with somebody that 
is going to harvest the animal and you're you're just the guest, you're the ride along. Yeah. And and just you watch. Um you've got tons of from what I understand, there's a lot of feral pigs out in not your area in the Los Angeles area, but you know, in the California area. Mm-hmm. That'd be a great animal to cut your teeth on to start hunting. Okay. Uh they're a they're a forgiving animal, which means that if you have to shoot them a couple times, um it just is what it is, mm-hmm. uh, but they're they're also plentiful. Yeah. So what uh, happens after you know after you kill? Do you do, like what's the I guess? How do you get them out of there and you know start preserving the meat and everything? Well, once you've harvested an animal, there's a couple of things are going to happen. Uh, you're going to har- generally you're probably going to clean it mm-hmm. in the field, okay. uh, and what I mean by clean it is is gutted oh okay and so that's the removal of the internal organs some people might want some of the internal organs you're with heart liver whichever it is i always tell them knock yourself out that's something i'm just not going to eat yeah so i'll clean those out and depending on the the landowner he or she may not want you to clean animals out in the field they may want you to clean them at another location or have a location set up for it. So let's just say you've cleaned the animal. Then your next decision is, am I going to process this animal myself? Like skin it, quarter it out, cut it up, whatever, you know, or am I going to pay somebody to do it? Uh, I prefer to pay somebody to do it. Okay. Uh, I can do it. I just, again, I've, because of my hips and my back and everything, it's not the easiest thing for me to do anymore. Right. And so when I was living in Texas, I had a place that was both a processor and a taxidermy. Oh. So I could drop the whole deer off. And then in about two weeks, I was going to get a call to say the meat was ready. Uh It was packaged, wrapped in butcher paper and listed out as this is sausage. This is stew meat. This is ribs. This is whatever. Oh, that's great. And then, I knew that he, he couldn't complain and say the cape had been cut wrong for the moan or anything like that. Cause he did it. Yeah. So then six months later, eight months later after that, I would get a call them that the mount was ready if I was having a mounted. Yeah. So that was really nice here in Michigan. There's a couple big taxidermy places and a couple processing places. Uh, I would probably take it over to the processor, have them do what's called caping it out, which is, cutting the hide to the specifications of the mount I want to do with it. And then they would keep the meat and process the meat for me and create sausage, steaks, chops, whatever I'm having done. Mm -hmm. And so, but I can, I can quarter a deer, which um, let's say you shot something that was out in the field way out. You had to, your only option was to backpack it out. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you try to cut the animal into quarters and it's not exactly quarters because you're not going to take the spine and things like that, but you're going to cut all the usable meat off of it mm-hmm. and have these game bags that you put the meat into, pack the meat into a backpack. And then you, and hopefully depending on the size of the animal, hopefully you and two or three of your buddies yeah. who are going to come along and help you carry that darn thing out along with the head and the cape and, Ooh. and the, the horns or the antlers depending on what you shoot yeah man i can imagine that's a that's a brutal hike 
Oh yeah, imagine carrying out an elk or yeah. a moose. <laughs> oh jeez. And there are videos where you'll see a a 200 pound leg quarter or a 180 pound leg quarter goes into a backpack and that guy that guy hoists it on his back and away he goes and he and he's got five trips to make because maybe he's the only one there. So he's got to carry it all out himself. Man. And some places make you leave the hide and the horns uh-huh. or the antlers, whatever, again, depending on what you shoot. Those, can, those have to be the last thing that comes out. Oh, why is that? Because they want to make sure you bring all the meat first. Oh, okay, I see. So, you know, you're back and forth four, five, six times back and forth up and down a mountain, yeah. hills, or wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. So if you... Um... If you do leave like the organs and stuff kind of in in the field there, is that generally going to get eaten by other animals or do, do they not eat that? No, something will eat it. Oh, okay. A bear, a coyote, birds, you know, something will come along and eat it. Okay. Buzzards. Uh, once they get the idea and see them there, uh, it'll be right on it and eat it. Nice. And then so how is the, you know, it seems tough to enforce the rules and stuff where, you know, trying to get somebody to take all the meat out first and then the antlers. So making sure nothing's getting wasted and everything like that. How, how does enforcement of this stuff work? Well, it, it can be, but a lot of the sports people are self-enforcing. Okay. So a, you do it because you'll do the right thing. Even when somebody's not looking good, B, you want the meat because that's really what you, you like mm-hmm. or see somebody decides to leave the meat out there and says, does something stupid, like says to somebody, Oh yeah, I, I shot that animal and just took the horns. Mm-hmm. Then you call one of the 800 poaching lines nice. and that goes to your national DNR, you know, goes to your local DNR and they go out and, and they, they usually work in an area for a long enough time. They, they kind of know who to watch and, You'll see DNR trucks. They usually never wash them because they want them to blend in. Oh. And they don't want that reflective markers to be seen. Yeah. And so you'll see they'll back in on a back road where maybe Farmer X has been out there on his tractor and he's heard several gunshots that aren't normal in that area. Mm-hmm. So he calls the DNR and the DNR sets up in there and says, well, I'll watch for some gunshots and they walk the field. Maybe they find a gut pile. So they might do a little research. They might, you know, they'll do an investigation. They might set up and see if somebody says, Oh, I got lucky there once I'll come back again. Mm-hmm. And they, they police it that way. But yes, a lot of sports people, uh, generally if they catch on that somebody's doing the wrong thing, it, it's, Twofold. You're, if you're doing the wrong thing, you're stealing. You're stealing mm-hmm. from everybody else. But you're also giving everybody else the, the bad name. Right. So it's it, it, a benefit to say, hey, knock it off uh, all the way up to, you know, I had to turn you in or, you know, I turned you in anonymously or whatever. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, even people who are like anti hunting and they're, you know, preservationists seems like we all want kind of have the same goals of, you know, wanting animals to thrive and have a, you know, healthy, you know, ecosystem and all that stuff, but also have, you know, 
allow us as humans to survive and do our stuff and, and crop and everything. So do you find, you know, being in the community that most hunters are conservationists? Yeah, I, you know, you'll always run across that bad apple. Yeah. Uh, but they don't tend to last very long. Okay. Um, if, if they're vocal about it in any means or, or fashion, uh, it, you know, everybody that I know, everybody that I've associated with, and I, I do a podcast on hunting and fishing and with having just about a hundred guests on there as of now, mm-hmm. every one of them will tell you the same thing. They hunt within the rules. Uh, they're not everybody's successful all the time. Uh, you're, you want to take an ethical shot. And if that means that that deer is farther out than you're comfortable shooting, or if that deer is close enough, but never gives you the, a good shot. You're not going to force something just to, to claim it. You're going to say, man, if I just couldn't get the shot, I couldn't get the shot. Yeah. Uh, if that deer goes behind a tree, you're not going to say, well, I got this little one inch spot that I might hit. So let me shoot. Right. Now, does that mean somebody won't do that? No. Yeah. But the longer they're in the field, the more you work with them, the more you talk with people, the more you help you instill those values in them to understand that. Uh, they want to be ethical and that's more than just saying it. Mm-hmm. It's doing it when nobody's watching you. And if, if that deer doesn't come in to, to be in view for a good shot, you still got to see it. Mm-hmm. And there's still going to be more deer that come along. Yeah. So, you know, you just kind of enjoy it that way. Right. Man. Cool. This is great, Jason. I really appreciate talking to you and, you know, kind of sharing all this stuff, how to get started and, and just your perspective on, you know, the conservation, and everything, because, uh, you know, I, of course, everyone always hears both sides of, of the story. And, you know, it it's hard to. I don't know, it's just hard to determine everything that's going on, but I'm definitely interested in getting started in this and, and kind of learn more about it. So, well, and the hard part, I think, and, and I'll wrap it up is Disney has created an environment for kids that as they grow up really doesn't exist. You know, the lion doesn't get along with the, all the other animals and hold up its cub and sing songs. And, right. you know, right. that's all a fake thing. Africa's a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to North America and, you know, you look at things like Bambi and all these movies, the hunters always portray, you even made a comment about Elmer Fudd. Mm-hmm. Hunters are portrayed as, as a, as a, goofball as a a mean person and that carries through in a lot of environments Mm -hmm. and it's really not the case there's with the outdoor with the self-imposed laws and what i mean there's the there's several laws that are in place where when i buy ammunition when i buy a rifle when i buy a bow anything of that nature there's a tax on that the robertson pittman act Mm -hmm. that tax if you don't buy any of that stuff you don't pay that tax we buy that, that tax money then goes and gets split between all the states and the federal government to be used for wildlife management. Oh, okay. And so you have a wild, wild area that you like to go, let's say somewhere out there and you want to, you like to watch birds. I'm, I'm making something up, but you like to go to that area. That area could be completely funded and preserved via hunter's tax revenue. Mm-hmm. But you as the non-hunter can still use it. You're not told, oh, you can't come in here because you don't hunt. Yeah. You're told, 
don't litter and have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Right. But those type of acts are out there that are not imposed on people that are not hunting those type of tax revenues. So uh, it's a it's a unique way. There's a lot of money involved as far as the taxes and so forth. And it helps to keep the states with wild areas, because what you don't want to see is um, the state run out of money and say, well, I've got 600,000 acres here. I guess I'll sell it to the guy that wants to put condos and golf courses in because I can't afford to maintain it because we lost the hunting revenue. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's much more nuances to it than just, Hey, this guy shot a deer. That's just one piece of the, the whole puzzle, but I'll be happy to send you some interesting things on the Robert Pitt, Robertson Pittman act. I probably just said it wrong. So I apologize to anybody <laughs> listening. Um, and some things out in the LA area. Uh, that are a, a more of a reference to you. Um, and I'll send you that link on that Coyote America book. And that author also wrote a great book called American Serengeti. I'll uh-huh. send you a link to that, which is the Missouri Breaks area in Montana. They're slowly buying up farms and ranches along the, that area to create it back together and put all the megafauna, the, the buffalo, the wolf, uh, the grizzly bear, everything back into turn that back into what it would have looked like when Lewis and Clark went through there. Oh, sweet. So uh, it's called the book's called American Serengeti. The author is a really nice guy, uh, but I'll get you the links to those so you can share those with your with your listeners as well. Perfect. Yeah, I'll throw all that stuff in the show notes. And then uh, where can we find you and your podcast? My podcast is called Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Jason is spelled J-A-Y-S-O-N. You can go to my website, which is www.oawjs.com. And you can find me at Outdoor Adventures with Jason on Instagram uh, and Facebook. Perfect. Sweet. Yeah, I'll have have links for all that stuff, too, so people can get to that quickly. And uh, sweet. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you being on. Sure. And if anybody has questions, feel free to reach out to me. Again, I kind of bumbled through this. so I. You know, I didn't have, there's no way I could have all the answers, but if you tell me where you're at, I can try and put you in touch with people in your area to better answer any questions you might have. Mm-hmm. And same, same with you, Travis, I'd be happy to uh, reach out to some people I know out in California and see if I can't put you guys together and, and at least get you some exposure to shooting, say a crossbow or a bow, a rifle, things of that nature. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love to just try some of that stuff so, out and see what feels right. We'll go from there. Sweet. Yeah, well, thanks again, Jason. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. You have a great afternoon. You too. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Oh, boy. What an episode. Thanks for sticking around and listening to it. This is Travis again uh, here on my own. But as a thank you for sticking around, I wanted to give you a free sticker, a free curiosity sticker, 100% free. Don't have to pay for shipping. You don't have to enter your credit card info. It's really free. Uh, to get one, go to curiosityness.com slash free sticker. And it's yours. I'll send it to you right away. And, and you can slap that baby wherever you want to represent Curiosityness. So uh, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Just wanted to give you guys a little gift. Um, so just go ahead and claim that at curiosityness.com slash free sticker. And uh Visit our website too, curiositiness.com. I have an Instagram. 
Curiosityness podcast. I'm on Instagram too as Trav DeRose, me, Travis, the host. You can follow me if you want. Uh, we're on Twitter, Curiosityness TV is our uh, handle there. We're on Facebook as Curiosityness. All the links to this stuff are in the show notes. You can just click on it and follow us if you want to, because I post some cool little clips and, and extra stuff that you don't get from the uh, podcast onto social media. So you can join in on that and comment and, and talk about me and the show or whatever you want to do. Uh, we're on YouTube, too, as Curiosityness. And I have an email address, Travis at Curiosityness.com. Send me an email. Send me your thoughts on the show, suggestions for new guests tips on things to make the show better and and help me with my interviewing and and get better and everything like that. So uh, constructive feedback is always nice. So send me an email and uh, also reviews super help. Uh, Really appreciate reviews on the show in uh, Stitcher or iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Um, Just drop a review. That's extremely helpful. You don't even have to make it five stars. You can you can lower it. I would prefer a higher one, but whatever, whatever you want to do. I won't coax you into something, Uh, but any sort of review helps. I really honestly do appreciate it. So, um, yeah, thank you again, guys, for sticking around and listening to this end blabber with me. But uh, have a good rest of the day. Bye bye.